I know it gets more and more confusing each time a question comes up, but this is this is a reason that well Jamie's in court right now trying to get his attorneys to get get the information out. Snow Files, Season 2, Episode 29, Bad Blood, Q&A. The mission of the Snow Files podcast is to expose the misconduct of the state's attorney's office under Charles Renard. It is not our intention in any way to disparage the current state's attorney's office or the Bloomington Police Department. If you enjoy Snow Files, please give us a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts. This will help Jamie's story get out to the masses. Visit snowfiles.net and click on Rate Show. And while you're there, leave us a voicemail that may be used on the show and check out our cool Snowfiles merch. Thanks for joining us for this week's Q&A segment where we dodge rabbit holes, slay inaccuracies, and untangle this web one fiber at a time. Let's get started. Tam, we said Bill was a type O secretor. We should specify that the secretor component just means that like 80% of other white people, Bill's blood type could also be identified in his other body fluids. Do we know if he was O negative or O positive? Do we know what the type of the blood sample from the floor was? Unless AB negative and AB positive is an, is an indicator of O positive or negative. Uh, that, that I don't know. Um, that, you know, I don't know what the indicator is of O negative or O positive. We don't know if the floor sample was typed. It indicates that that Original report indicates that the suspect's blood submitted will be compared to that sample. So they must have eliminated Bill's blood in some way. Now, in that original case that we were talking about in 1983, that blood was typed immediately. And I don't know, Ray, I mean, do you know if they automatically type blood or do they just identify it? That was back in, you know, back in the day. They just identify it as human or animal before they do any more specific testing. And that's usually only done at request. So it just makes me so curious why they said at the bottom of that they wanted submissions of suspect blood to compare to that sample. So that just tells me that they must have eliminated it somehow, right? I agree with that for sure. Okay, so to further break down the sampling that was actually done, we have a control, which is a regular swab on the floor that doesn't appear to have any blood on it. And then we have the swab of the floor that actually had the blood stain on it. And then we have Bill's blood. But then the results that only show the source of the blood can be determined when the suspect's blood is supplied. So did they just admit the obvious? that Bill's blood did not match the sample. They just left that part out and suggested obtaining a sample from someone else in the results. Did they really not get a DNA sample from Jamie until 2009 when they swabbed his cheeks? 
So when they created those new evidence labels, they had a label generated for buckle swabs of Jamie. And that was in, I believe, 2008, right? And then a year later, in May of 2009, Sergeant Donath took a buckle sample of Jamie, the, the swab in his cheek, to get his DNA. That was brought out because I didn't really understand why they needed a new sample if they had one in 2008. So I guess the answer to your question is, I don't know, <laughs> because it looks like there was already one on hand in 2008. Okay, um, but Jamie was convicted in 2001. So did he never submit a DNA uh, sample before this? I don't know. I, You know, I, I mean, I guess that would be a good question for him. I know that he remembers when Donath came and got his sample. And that's when the only time I knew, right? That was the first time that we've ever talked about them getting a, a, a DNA sample from Jamie. But then when we look back and we're looking at, at these labels being generated, there's a supplement for Jamie's buckle swabs named the same thing that he said in 2009 that he named the sample. So does that matter? I don't know. What does that mean? Now, does it mean anything? Could it just be, you know, that, well, they have two samples? I, you know, I don't know what's behind that, but I, but I do know that they generated a label for buckle swabs of James Christopher Snow. They called it Exhibit JCS-1, and that was in 2008. Just seems so, like the glaring question is, though, how could you have blood evidence in a murder case and then not do anything with it and not try to exclude your exclude who you're defending when the fingerprints already don't match him? The footprints already don't match him. Wouldn't that be the next step? You would think. For a proper defense team, it would. I mean, that's a great question. Why didn't they do some type of testing on that? The defense team didn't even bring it out. I don't know, Ray. Is that something in your experience that like a defendant won't ever submit DNA unless like made to? Well, the defendant could be ordered to, to submit the DNA. And, and I think that's uh, somewhere how this come about. And, and I don't want to throw... I don't want to throw another little monkey wrench into this whole mess, but uh, the timing on it is very suspicious. The only thing I can find they tested after they got that second swab was, I believe it's 2000 now. There's a report where they tested for DNA on Jamie's shoes from the Freedom robbery. And that's another question that just keeps coming up is, are they, what were they searching for? What were they looking to do? I mean, uh, was there other suspect? Uh, I mean, that's wasn't connected until we foiled the freedom oil robbery where Jamie was, uh, that was what Jamie was picked up for initially. 
And now they're looking at that in, I believe it was 2000. So it's, it's more confusing than, than ever trying to piece all this together. I mean, so basically is- what you're saying is while they're doing his trial, so before he gets convicted, they have his shoe from another crime and have it tested for DNA, the same prosecutors. So it's not going to be in the discovery materials for Bill Little's case. And it's not going to have to go to his to Pitzel and Riley, his defense attorneys, because it's a different related case. But everybody could know in that lab that Jamie's DNA doesn't match the DNA in the Bill Little case already, that it's not the same type. Correct. But it's a real mix is why they're when Jamie went back to court to try to get DNA uh, testing on the evidence is when all this mess with with uh, getting the DNA sample and and uh, comparing it to uh, different pieces of evidence all come in. And like I said, so we we find one report on the testing where they test they tried testing. Jamie's DNA that was taken well after the trial, when all these questions are coming up, they're trying to compare it to the liner of the, of the tennis shoes and part of the shoestrings from Jamie's Freedom Oil case. <laughs> I know it gets more and more confusing each time a question comes up, but this is... This is a reason that, uh, well, Jamie's in court right now trying to get his attorneys to get get the information out. They didn't tell Jamie that they were comparing anything. They just took his shoes or those shoes. And then they're testing the inside, you know, the liner inside and the shoelaces, Right. And then the, the next question is, what were they comparing that to? We don't know. Is there DNA out there that, you know, that we don't know about? And, and because because they could have just asked Jamie for DNA sample. Uh, correct. Right. Those, are, those are the questions that are coming up. I mean, it's and it's and we don't have answers, firm answers. There's no no. Uh, there's there's no uh, information from the state saying we want your DNA or we want your sample to test it for this. We're just kind of guessing by the timing. Yeah, well, it seems completely strategic, and it's still strategic today when you know all that forensic evidence isn't gonna link to Jamie Snow, who's sitting in prison right now. You will just never, ever, ever, ever test it. And I think that they knew when they were doing his trial. And I think the ambiguity was done on purpose and his lawyers just never clarified it. Correct. And I mean, it's, it's just, uh, I mean, the attorney part is, is also part of, of any information or any uh, subsequent post-conviction appeal that Jamie may make. And he can supplement his defense attorney's uh, errors and stuff. And, and this, this all will go towards that, I would think. Join us on our journey to free Jamie Snow by becoming a member of the Snowfiles Patreon team for a flat rate of five bucks a month or set your own monthly rate. 
All supporters will receive a Snowfiles wristband and a shout-out by Jamie on the Snowfiles podcast. Just visit snowfiles.net and click on the Join Our Patreon button. We know that it was possible at the time to determine blood type from a sample on crime scene evidence because of the 1983 Dagenpour slaying we discussed in this episode. So this information should definitely be somewhere. As Leslie suggested, was this conveniently left out by the prosecutor to make room for ambiguity? Why did Jamie's lawyers not request these original laboratory documents? Well, I went through the transcripts because I was thinking, did Steve Skelton during Susan's trial maybe get a little bit more into this? And the answer was no. Steve Skelton didn't get into it. And then at Jamie's trial, Jamie's lawyers didn't get into it either. There was nothing about the blood samples discussed in detail at all. The coroner was questioned, and he only talked mostly about the gunshot wounds, the cause of death, and the stippling around the entrance room. Nothing about blood dripping or being collected or blood typing, nothing. And it was just 12 pages. That was actually the ME. That was 12 pages. And then the coroner talked, and he only had two pages, and he was only talking about the body going to the morgue, who was there, and the cause of death. And then we had Ed Cowell, the lead crime scene tech, and he only talked about how he swabbed the floor and gave the evidence to Morton Crime Lab. And Pitzel didn't ask anything about it. Randy McKinley, the junior tech on scene, he wasn't asked anything about it either. And those two people didn't even testify at Susan's trial, only the Emmy and the coroner. So when I was thinking about it, it was almost like Pitzel kind of just went off a a script from whatever Steve Skelton did. So if, if Steve Skelton didn't bring it up in Susan's trial, why would he bring it up in Jamie's trial? So I think it was it was just lost on him and it just never got brought up for some some reason that we all think is completely bogus now. I think that they could have just eviscerated the tech by pulling up the fact that they there's no record of them collecting the blood on the shelf those types of things. And like you said before, there should have been some typing to compare. You know, his defense attorney should have compared at least the blood type to that. But you're right. They just didn't even address it at all. And it it just makes me wonder, because I know that Skelton was so thorough that it just makes me wonder what they had available to them at that time. Yeah, because we know he eviscerated, Pitzel eviscerated them about the footprints and the fingerprints on the button and all that did like a really good job about that button. But then, you know, you kind of think at the same time, like, oh, well, maybe they didn't know that much about DNA back then. So they didn't know how to go after it. But then that other case that we talked about, the slaying of that student, that was in 83. And back then they got the types, the blood types off the evidence and the victim and they didn't match. So if that was going on in 83, how could they not know to ask about this in 2000? And and they were very clear about that in that other case, you know, that it was typed that that's what they were looking for. If you think about it, you know, at that time, I know that they had, I think DNA was, you know, coming in 86, but still in 1999 and 2000, I even remember this whole discussion about it being hard to explain to a jury because it it was science, but people have have gotten very used to it now. It was not used as frequently 
certainly not as frequently as it is now. It's just part of okay. it. But like, imagine this, you say to the jury, look at this report. You didn't tie this blood back to Bill back in 1991. You didn't say it was the victim's blood. You said you wanted a suspect blood. We gave you the suspect's blood. It doesn't match Jamie Snow's blood. So whose blood is it? So then right then and there, you, he could have just been found not guilty. That would have been the, the biggest piece of evidence they had. And they just let it go. Yeah. And he got, and, and again, with the blood that was seen on the shelf, again, he could have illustrated the incompetence of gathering the evidence, the incompetence of the crime scene, if that was mentioned, because that would have cast doubt on their abilities, just like any of us go, well, why didn't that, where is that swab of the blood from the shelf? And he could have done all this on the stand just by questioning these technicians. And it would have been too late for the state to turn around and be like, oh my God, let's go test all the DNA right now to prove him wrong. You know, to say that it was Bill Little's blood and we know who it is because they're already in court. You know, they could have, it was just such a lost opportunity. And you think that would be no matter what anybody else said, if there's blood and all this evidence around and you can't say who it's from and it's not from who's on a stand right now, there's no way you can convict. Tam, can we clarify what is going on with the issues of the labeling of the of the uh, four samples, Bill Little's blood sample and Jamie's DNA sample? What is the significance with the mislabeling of those samples in 2008 and 2009? I know that this episode was confusing and it's just because they generated different labels for evidence that was already in hand. We don't know why that occurred. All we know is that the Exoneration Project filed a DNA motion on September 2nd of 2008. And then Five days later, on September 7th, the records manager, Pamela Dunlap, created a supplement to add property ID labels. And then on September 10th, just three days after that, she created more labels. And that's when she took the original that had all of those samples in, in one Package, I would say. I don't want to imply that they were all mixed up, but, you know, they were just in one place. And she deleted that, and then she made four separate property IDs for, I guess that was the swab on the floor, control swab, hair sample, and the blood and urine. It says blood slash urine and then blood standard of victim. And that's when there was another sample created that I don't, I don't know where supplement four was not in that series of samples, the buckle swabs. And then there were two others that were supplement labeled supplement 10, another blood stained card from William Little. And then another blood swabbing from the floor. So I don't understand that series. But the same day, Assistant Attorney Bill Workman went in there and checked out all of that evidence. 
And that was a year before there was any DNA testing. So that was right after the motion was filed. Then they had a hearing on it. They had a hearing around September 2009, which was like a year later. And then Bill Workman said it was reported in the press that he said that the blood stored in a vial for 18 years has dried up and cannot be used for testing. And then it was after he made that statement that the tech from ISP opened the sample and said there's that the box was empty. And then they came up with another sample and took it and took it to them. So my question was, how did he know there was any issue with the blood? First of all, nobody ever said anything about age of blood. That's not documented. That's not nobody saying anything. Nobody ever said the blood is dried up and you can't use that. And can you, Ray, expand on that a little bit about age of blood? Can it be tested? Do you know? Well, I know that the blood in a tube would coagulate and but it doesn't affect extracting DNA from it. We know we can find DNA on items that are 100 years, 200 years old, and they're coming up and, and identifying the DNA. So, I mean, I, I don't know if, if Workman would say something like that just to get the press off of them or what, but uh, no, it should not affect any any extraction of the DNA from a, a, a dried up blood sample. I mean, wouldn't they all be dried up, right? And again, going back to that 1983 case, you know, that sample was even older. That case was in, the guy was arrested in April of 2021. They tested that in November of 2020. They tested the, that and it was a blood stain. So I don't, see how that you know how he could say that but moreover why would he say that and then all of the sudden all of the sudden the sample's gone when the when the tech opens the opens the envelope so i know that it's very confusing but it's just as confusing to us as it is to y'all it's just as confusing to me as it is to y'all <laughs> i guess i can't speak for everybody but that it, you know, and that's the point. Those things need to be clarified. I think it goes along with our point that there's still more questions than answers. Exactly. Ray, so to recap, in this episode, we demonstrated that the only DNA ever tested in this case was from a sample that had went missing, hence the title, Bad Blood. Jamie currently has motions being heard in court to obtain all of his discovery materials that the state has, including the information surrounding this blood sample. Are there any specific documents that you are looking for? Do you think there is more crime lab information that has been withheld? I would suspect there is crime lab information that we haven't seen. I would suspect there's papers on the evidence uh, that we haven't seen that may have been collected or may not have been collected. I would suspect there's a, an evidence log somewhere that is like a summary. All the papers that we've put together and that we've, we've attached this from Bloomington, FOIAs, 
We FOIA'd the state police and asked them for their evidence uh, custody. It's all been pieced together over the over the years from different FOIA requests, where it mentions uh, the handling of a of blood, and we put that down and and try to track when it was taken in, where it went. And we can piece a lot of it together, but there's an awful lot of missing information that we suspect. That's what Jamie's seeking to obtain right now in court. Tam, lastly, um, when we're looking at all this evidence, what is the list of evidence that we want tested for DNA besides this one blood sample? We want the bullets tested. We want the fingerprints tested. We want the clothes tested for touch DNA. The only thing that's ever been tested, and in that 2008 motion for DNA testing, right off the bat, right in the beginning, the Exoneration Project was asking for all of these things to be tested. The only thing they allowed testing for was that one blood swab from the floor and that matched Bill Littles. That is just so interesting to me. So why not shine the light, shine the light on all of this evidence, just take a look at it and see how it fleshes out, how it shakes out. This has been all of these years, all of these years. All of these years that Jamie has been waiting, DNA testing was available even during the trial. It may not have been as sensitive, but now the technology has advanced so much that these things can be tested and we can see. It's just really interesting that the only thing they ever allowed was that one blood swab, and then they say it matches Bill. With all of this craziness going on with the labels and checking out evidence and, and evidence missing, sending a sample to the ISP to be tested and she opens the box and it's empty. And, you know, we'd also talked about the technician calling Barkas to ask about the history of the case. What does she need to know about the history of the case? Why does she need to know that? Do, does she call every single sample that she gets in there? Does she call every case? And does she call the detective on every case and ask for the history of the case? There's no reason. She's there to test. She's there to test in an unbiased way. So I can't figure out why she even needed to talk to him about the case. What was that all about? Did Barkas leave a message and say, hey, call me? We don't know, but wouldn't it be nice to get workmen on the stand to say why he checked out those items? There may be a very good reason for it. We just don't know. Why did he say that the blood was dried up? Where did that come from? Did he just pull it out of his hat? Those are the questions that we have that need to be answered. Questions about when he checked out all of the, all of the evidence, you know, question that technician that was in there. Why did he check out all of that evidence? What was done with that evidence during that time? Why did you make all of those new labels when you just made property IDs five days before? Those are the things that cast out 
on the state. And that's all we're asking for is to get people in person, to get them before a judge and let them tell us why they did that. And this DNA testing, again, just shine the light on all of these items. That was asked for in 2008. It's just uh, ridiculous that they've not allowed that and that they've used McLean County tax dollars for all of these years fighting DNA testing. And the Exoneration Project will pay for every bit of it. It just makes no sense. We invite any witness featured on the Snow Files podcast to come on the show to give their point of view to clarify anything that they think might have been misstated. If you have any information that may help Jamie, please call the tip line at 888-710-SNOW. There is a $10,000 reward for any information leading to a new trial or the exoneration of Jamie Snow. The tip line is free and confidential 